Hello everyone and welcome. I am Fernando, a GP in the UK. In this episode, we look at the NICE guidelines on dementia and we start by emphasizing the importance of involving patients in the decision-making process regarding their care. As we know, dementia has symptoms that include memory loss, challenges in reasoning and communication, and personality changes. As a result, often people with dementia are inadvertently excluded from these crucial decisions and information may not be well communicated. Additionally, many patients may not really share their thoughts on their care. Considering this, we should actively encourage and enable them to express their views and opinions using structured tools to enhance communication. We also need to give clear information about the specific dementia subtype. We should also discuss advanced care planning to ensure proactive approach in addressing evolving care needs. Moreover, at each care review, we must provide patients with the opportunity to revisit and modify any advanced statements and decisions they have previously made. One of the most important parts of the initial assessment and diagnosis in primary care is obtaining a thorough history. Ideally, this should not only come from the patient, but also from someone who knows the patient well. In cases where dementia is suspected following the initial assessment, our next step involves a full physical examination and relevant blood and urine tests to rule out any reversible causes for cognitive decline. Additionally, we should incorporate cognitive testing into the evaluation process. When using cognitive tests in primary care, we should opt for brief validated tools like the 10-point cognitive screener, mini-cog, or the six-item cognitive impairment test, as opposed to longer assessments such as the mini mental state examination. But we need to be aware that a normal score alone does not rule out dementia. After investigating reversible causes of cognitive decline, if we still suspect dementia, we must refer the patient to a specialist dementia service. We must remember that ordering imaging in primary care is not recommended, and this should be done by specialist services. Also, case finding for suspected dementia should only be done as part of clinical trials. In terms of intervention to promote cognition, we can offer group cognitive stimulation therapy, group reminiscence therapy, and cognitive rehabilitation in mild to moderate dementia. But we will not provide acupuncture or cognitive training as part of the intervention plan. Starting pharmacological treatment for Alzheimer's should be done exclusively under the guidance of a specialist. However, once the decision to commence treatment with a cholinesterase inhibitor or memantin has been made, the initial prescription may be issued in primary care. Cholinesterase inhibitors such as donepezil, galantamine or rivastigmine can be given in Alzheimer's as monotherapy. Memantin may be considered for those with moderate Alzheimer's disease, but only as monotherapy when the patient cannot tolerate a cholinesterase inhibitor. In cases of moderate and severe Alzheimer's disease, a combination of a cholinesterase inhibitor and memantin can be used. Cholinesterase inhibitors should not be discontinued in patients with Alzheimer's disease only because of disease severity. For people already diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and currently taking a cholinesterase inhibitor, we have the option to initiate memantin in primary care without requiring specialist advice. In cases of dementia with Lewy bodies, we can use donepezil, rivastigmine, galantamine and memantin. We will consider the use of cholinesterase inhibitors or memantin in vascular dementia 
only when we suspect comorbid Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, or dementia with Lewy bodies. Cholinesterase inhibitors or memantin should not be offered to patients with frontotemporal dementia. Many commonly prescribed medications are linked to increased anticholinergic burden, which can lead to cognitive impairment. These drugs have the potential to exacerbate cognitive symptoms in dementia or even lead to inaccurate diagnosis. There are validated tools such as the Anticholinergic Cognitive Burden Scale and we should consider reducing these medications whenever possible and look for alternatives. In terms of managing non-cognitive symptoms such as agitation, distress, depression, anxiety and sleep problems, we will say that before initiating any treatment we need to investigate potential causes for their distress and provide psychosocial and environmental interventions to alleviate it. Antipsychotic medications should only be used when they are at risk of harming themselves or others or when they are suffering from severe distress due to agitation, hallucinations or delusions. We must remember that patients with Parkinson's or dementia with Lewy bodies, antipsychotics can exacerbate the motor symptoms of their condition. When employing antipsychotics, we will use the lowest effective dose and for the shortest duration possible and we will review the treatment at least every six weeks and we will stop it if there is not a clear and ongoing benefit from it. Furthermore, valproate should not be offered as a means to manage agitation or aggression in dementia unless indicated for another medical condition. For mild to moderate depression or anxiety, we will consider psychological treatments and antidepressants should not be the primary approach unless there is a pre-existing severe mental health condition. We should not give melatonin for insomnia in Alzheimer's disease either. We will use a structured observational pain assessment tool for those who seem to be in pain or show signs of behavioural changes that may be caused by pain. And we will use a stepwise treatment protocol that balances pain management and potential adverse effects. We must remember that multifactorial fall interventions may not be suitable for patients with severe dementia. And we will consider relaxing HbA1c targets for people with severe dementia who have type 2 diabetes. We will consider referring adults with cognitive impairment to an audiology service for a hearing assessment as hearing loss may be a comorbid condition. For adults with diagnosed dementia or mild cognitive impairment without hearing loss, we should refer them for a hearing assessment every two years. We will also encourage them to have an eye test every two years. We must be aware of the increased risk of delirium following hospital admission and we should consider the importance of maintaining a familiar environment for these patients. As part of palliative care, the routine use of enteral feeding should not be used in cases of severe dementia unless there is a specific indication related to a potentially reversible comorbidity. Finally, we should ensure that carers are informed of their entitlement to undergo a formal needs assessment, including for respite, psychoeducation and skills training. We have come to the end of this episode. Remember that this is not medical advice and it is only my summary and my interpretation of the guidelines. You must always use your clinical judgment. Thank you for listening and goodbye.